0: Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with the law firm mentor, Allison Williams. So Allison and I connected a few weeks ago on a webinar, but she's been in the space for a long time. She was done part of the Law Firm Growth Summit with Moshe Amsel, um, been in the space for a while helping small and solo businesses do much better and, and reorganizing. I'm probably butchering this right now, but helping them crush the chaos in that, which is definitely something that's needed in this current time and age. So thanks for coming on the show, Allison.
1: Thank you, as always, for having me on.
0: I'm excited. Yeah. So just to give people some, a little bit of more background on, on how you came to be where you are today, can you uh, give us a little bit of the backstory on how you, uh, you, know, how you got to become a Law Firm Mentor?
1: Sure, so um, for anybody that's heard me speak, you've heard me say that Law Firm Mentor is a business coaching service for solo and small law firm attorneys. We help you to grow your revenues, crush chaos in business, and make more money. So in essence, what that means is I help people to first make more, that becomes marketing and sales. Then second, systematize, i.e. crushing the chaos that's created when you create more and you don't have a system to, to manage it all. And then finally, make more money is all about profit. So you don't just make more revenue, you actually get to keep more of what you're making. And so that whole conception came to me from my own experience growing a law firm. I started a law firm in 2013 and grew it into a multiple seven figure business in about three and a half years. And that came from learning everything I needed to know about the business of law But also being a student of the business of law, because what happens when you work with a lot of consultants or coaches or companies that will teach you about how to make a business around your law practice, they teach you how to get big top line revenue so that the number is really big. But a lot of times people are working a lot harder, taking home a lot less. They're just not happy. They just have more stress because they have a bigger version of the chaos that they had before. So for me, crushing chaos, meaning systematizing everything is really important. And that really grew out of my own story, which is that when I started my law firm, I did what I thought to do, which is what most people think. OK, if I can't manage what's going on in my calendar, I'll just work more. Right. I'll come in a little bit earlier, maybe leave a little bit later, add on the weekend and we'll get it done. But when you're kicking out 60 hour work weeks, there's only so many more hours you can tack on to a body, especially when you're learning all of the new stuff. Right. Because it's not like I was just lawyering more. I knew I had a lawyer at that point, I'd been practicing 10 years, but I had to learn how to hire people and how to fire people and how to organize systems and how to sign leases, how to negotiate transactions. And, and I didn't know where to go to get any of that stuff. I really had to figure it out on the fly. So that was exhausting. And after the better part of a year of doing that, I got to a breaking point where essentially I had one Friday where I had an entire day of court that had been adjourned the day before. So I was like, great, I got a whole Friday to myself, I'm gonna finally get to catch up. By that time, I was my own secretary, my own file clerk, I was doing everything under the sun, because I was the only person in the business. And ultimately what happened was, I was coming into the office at like six in the morning, working until nine o'clock as a secretary, being a lawyer from nine to six at night, taking a quick dinner break, working again from 6.30 to nine o'clock as a secretary, and then going home and rinsing and repeating. And I decided that I was gonna give myself Friday off to come in late, like seven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> super late. And I was going to not stay super late. I was gonna stay only till like seven o'clock at night and give myself a reasonable 12 hour workday. And I came home on Thursday so excited about the prospect of getting a real night of sleep that I started driving faster and faster and faster trying to get home. And next thing you know, I'm driving 90 miles an hour and I'm waking up one inch away from a guardrail. And Luckily, I survived that moment. By the will and grace of God, I survived that moment and very quickly realized I didn't want to own a law firm anymore. I said, this crap's for the birds. (laughs) So sold myself to the highest bidder, got a job working as a partner in a large law firm. And on the way to sign the contract for that offer, I ultimately again pulled over on the side of the road. You know, A lot of my stuff happens in the car. Pulled over on the side of the road and said I don't want to do this you know there's something about this whole owning a business that attracted me and I don't know what it is and I think it's stupid for me to hold on to it because it's making me miserable but I want to keep it so I got to figure out how to make it work so I started working with different professionals getting advice about how to make it work and pieced it all together and then finally came into an understanding of how to improve myself the business and the systems as a whole and ultimately was able to create a multiple seven-figure business in three and a half years and now, through Law Firm Mentor, I help lawyers do the same thing.
0: Okay. You know, it's kind of interesting. I had never heard that story in its entirety, but that is one of the biggest roller coasters I think ever. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> it's really got everything. And, you know, it's, it, there's so many interesting places where we could kind of come in for the listenership of the law firm, the owners that have listened to this show. But one of the things that's kind of looming over any discussion that we'd have right now is the current state of affairs with the uh, the pandemic lockdown and uh, the state of business generally changing over the last little bit. So I wanted to ask. I mean, it's, it seems like we're a couple of weeks feels like into a this. couple of years, right? Yeah, seriously, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> last week is the longest year I can I can remember in a long time. But but yeah, it seems like we've kind of had this adjustment of uh, people, you know, had a week or two to kind of freak out. A week or two to kind of adapt to things. It seems like we're kind of adjusting to the new normal. So what's kind of the stuff that you've been seeing either in your own practice or with the, the clients that you work with or people in the group? And what are you kind of seeing people, uh, like what are the, the big concerns in the market as far as you can tell?
1: Well, you know, when this first started, it was the stay at home measures that shifted everyone very rapidly into working from home. And the difficulty that a lot of people have with that is that uh, they want to just pick themselves up and work at home the way that they worked at the office, which is, Virtually impossible if you have young kids at home, or even if you're if you're a single person with no one else in the home, it's still virtually impossible because the atmosphere is different and the mood of getting up every day and going to your living room is very different than getting up and going to your office. So people are struggling with that. I see a lot of issues with management. A lot of people uh, are very conflicted about being too hard on their employees right now. I certainly don't advocate being hard on people, but I take a very, matter-of-fact approach i think you ought to be honest with people about how grave the situation can be may not necessarily be there in your jurisdiction but it could be and that people need to be empowered that they have a way of contributing to the success of their company frankly i think babying people and saying well if you don't want to put on you know your clothes or if you don't want to put on makeup or if you don't want to see a client you don't have to because i feel bad for you because of this pandemic i mean the reality is if you don't get the work done the money's not going to be there so money is ultimately not going to be there in many circumstances just by virtue of marketing changing and the resources being limited of the people that would normally buy the service but if we as the leaders of the company don't hold up to a higher standard the people are not going to hold to a higher standard and i think that's going to contribute to depression and a lack of productivity so i see a lot of that a lot of enabling there and then finally is just the issue of marketing like the number of people that can't make a decision now and are either morally conflicted about selling, even though selling is what's going to hold our economy together with duct tape. <laughs> selling is selling is what's going to move money through the economy. Selling is what's ultimately going to help our families. People feel a lot of conflict about that. And they also don't know what to say. So there are a lot of lawyers that are kind of getting out in front of the, the masses on Facebook Lives or um, scheduling webinars, getting people information, which is great, but they're not also saying, And when you have this problem, we're here to help and let's talk about how we can get on the phone and serve you. There's almost like a a double binding message of I want you to know how great I am, but I don't want to be insensitive and ask you to purchase my service right now, which, of course, is the exact opposite of what people need to hear. They need to hear that no matter how bad your situation is, we can help you even through this bad time. You really just have to get on the phone with us or come into our office. Obviously, you can't physically come in. But depending on where you are you might be in your office so they can see your office but you need to connect with people and there's a lot of there are a lot of lawyers out there right now that are just kind of questioning when can i start selling again when are things going to lighten up again and not knowing that is causing a lot of just kind of emotional incapacity people are just shutting down and saying i'm going to hunker down and stick my head under the blanket and hope for the best and you know, I'll use this time productively by working on things that don't make money, <laughs> and I will hold on to the idea that I shouldn't make money because God forbid anyone look at me and say that I'm an evil human being that's trying to support my family. So, a lot of that.
0: Yeah, goes. it's a lot to kind of unpack, and like I kind of want to start from the position of of mindset because I've seen some people that are. I mean, aside from the people that are sticking their heads. I oh, this is a funny story. So I had a. <laughs> A friend of mine, I hope he does listen to this podcast. But he was talking about, yeah, you know, we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna get a, a campaign launch for him. And he said, you know, moving into the uh, back of the office at the beginning of April, and after we get everything moved in, this is in Manhattan, by the way. He <laughs> said, so mm-hmm. once everything's back to normal, we'll get to, to get to going. And I was like, yeah, all right. I guess, I guess we'll see then. <laughs> and again, it's like that's that's kind of the situation. But for people that are have kind of accepted the fact that this is, is going to be here to stay, what would you say to the people who aren't? confident enough to, to go out there and serve the market? What, what kind of mindset and head trash do people have to get out from under in order to kind of take this first step?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing I think you have to realize is that as scary as this is because of how big it is, it is really nothing that we as a humanity haven't encountered before, which basically means we have had H1N1, we have had Ebola, we have had polio, we've had viruses that have made their way around the world. And every time something like that happens, there is a consequence and then ultimately it passes by. This too shall pass. Now that might sound a little uh, simplistic, but I really think people have to recognize that there is going to be another side of this and what they have to think about is rather than hope and pray and wish and dream that it's a short period before we get on the other side, there is going to be an economic change simply by virtue of the fact that we were almost at the point of bust even before this happened. I mean, we have been riding the economic highs for some time now, so all of us that are in business right now need to be thinking about how can I do what's necessary today to advance in today's marketplace? And part of that means taking a step back and saying, even though it's scary right now, even though I don't know how I'm gonna hold on to the people that I have, or I don't know how I'm gonna deliver the way that I was delivering before, I don't know if my rates have to change. I don't know if my clients are going to be able to withstand economic pressure. All of those things have to be taken into account, and then you have to move forward presuming, to some degree, worst case scenario, right? We always plan for the worst and then hope for the best. So as we start planning for the worst, you can be very nimble in creating strategies, especially as a solo or a small law firm attorney. I mean, we have a great advantage that I don't think a lot of people are seeing, which is we have the ability to more easily become remote and we were typically in the place of being more scrappy with technology because we didn't have a big budget Uh, a lot of what we can do in terms of marketing is using our voice to craft our message in a more effective way rather than just throwing out ad dollars to hope that you know bodies will see it the eyes will see the message and get on our get on our website so we have a lot of advantages but if you don't see this circumstance as an opportunity for you to look for the advantage and then create a way around it you're going to probably fall into a depression about the fact that you're losing things that you have no control over. You're losing your way of life. You're losing some of your autonomy. And when that happens, then you have two things to overcome. You have to overcome the economy and its current circumstances, and you have to overcome yourself.
0: So for people that are able to get themselves into the right headspace, and I think one of the things you mentioned was a lot of this stuff too, and you, you see these going out. So it's kind of tough for us to see right these days, people who haven't had a message that's gone out to their list regarding COVID-19, or having a banner that's on their website. And it's kind of an interesting little twist I've seen. Is I, I see more and more people going on live on platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn. But as far as you mentioned, like a lot of people just kind of giving this value, Like, is there any sort of a little tactical formula that you could give us as, as far as people that, that might be doing this and how to finish these off in a way that's actually gonna get them business?
1: So you're really asking about the tactics to get to people when you are on a live platform that can right. get them business. Well, so there's several things. I think the first thing is to not try to make this different than any other time that you'd be using a live platform. I mean, the reality is human psychology does not change when we are in distress. All that it does is bring out more of who we already were. So if you were a person that was highly price resistant, you're going to become more of that when you are in distress. If you were a person that had a healthy money consciousness, you are going to be more of that when you are in distress. Now it might shut it down temporarily, because inductive and deductive reasoning does tend to alter when you are in pressure, but it is going to have some type of impact, but it's not going to change fundamentally who you are. So you have to still cut through to the person you're talking to. So just keep that to the side for a moment. When you're crafting a message to the people, you want to create a relationship between yourself and the prospect on the other side. So it's very important that if you're going live, that you're not just data dumping information on people, but that you are engaging in a relationship. You're asking them questions, you're throwing out ideas, giving food for thought, and you have to do that to an audience. But if you don't have an audience yet, you ought to create what I consider to be a faux audience, meaning start getting some people that you know, that are supportive of you, they can be friends, colleagues, partners, anyone that knows enough about what you do that they can ask a reasonably intelligent question. And then you have that conversation with them. And they can be on the other side of a recording. They don't have to be sharing your stage, but you want to have somebody out in the audience who can ask questions and answer and engage with you. Then you want to start controversy or you wanna start what I consider to be topical eloquence, meaning you either wanna say something that is really outside of the norm, outside of what people normally think about so that it intrigues them to either stay and disagree with you or find out why they should agree with you, right? You wanna have their mind thinking, not just, ah, I've heard this before, I can move on, but, huh, that's an interesting way of looking at that, I've never thought of that before. And in the area of topical eloquence, it's really, what can you say about this that is a mind shift for someone? So if you're in the area of criminal defense, what can you say about the way in which defense attorneys engage with prosecutors that is different than what people have heard before? What kind of strategies can you share with people that would make them think about their case differently? So if you are a family law attorney, maybe you don't talk about enforcing support orders. Maybe you think about ways that people can horse trade. Okay, you don't have cash today. Maybe you can give me something else so that we can take care of the child until you get your job back, right? these are things that people are not necessarily thinking about but if you start giving them information ideas innovation that they have not contemplated before they will not only see you as an expert they will also see you as a resource and when people start thinking of you as the resource for information then when they have a problem they're going to come find you so you don't have to cut through all the noise you become the only voice that's saying what you're saying so that's another way of getting people And connecting with them and then finally it's just like any other form of marketing put something out there give people a way to get a hold of you not just a call to action but some way that you can collect their information so I'm much more of a fan of having a webinar if it's not if you're gonna go live that's fine but at some point you need to also drive them somewhere so you can collect their emails so that you can continue that conversation with them and then from there once you have continued that conversation be direct and ask them, you know, if you're having a problem with this or if you sought my newsletter, if you show up weekly for my live, I know that you're dealing with something that's drawing you here. What is it? Let's see what I can do to help you.
0: Hey, that's awesome. That is super actionable tips for anyone that's listening, Allison. Thank you so much for uh, for getting that for us. And that, like, I think if there's a silver lining to this whole thing, at least for the legal profession, it's that we've got a lot of people that are, are at home. Sometimes those practices that might've been just kind of, you know, making rant every month or, coasting off of referrals day to day, it's like they have the time and a lot of the resources to, to actually go out and do a little bit more proactive marketing. So it's going to be interesting to see how these things evolve, especially as the economy switches back on. Kind of moving based a little bit from the marketing and sales aspect of things to, I guess, sort of the financial preparation. So we've got a lot of people that are in different states of organizational stress, uh, different financial situations, How do you see these things kind of working out over the, I guess, the short, medium, and long term? Like, where do you think these things are going to be going?
1: It's interesting you asked me this question. I literally was just on the phone with with, on Zoom with a client this morning talking about this exact thing, which is that I think nowadays we are going to, approaching a down economy, we're going to see a buyer's market. So that means the people who are traditionally in the state of power, if you're an owner, if you're a landlord, if you are the company versus the individual, you're going to see a shift in that power, which means that you, as the law firm owner, being the smaller of the two in the David and Goliath story of landlord to, to tenant or contract signatory to contract drafter, you're going to see an, a, an amazing ability you have to start leveraging power. Because I recently saw a Petition that went out online where people were banding together and say let's none of us pay rent (laughs) Because (laughs) the landlord could not possibly evict us all at once and there's something to be said for that while I certainly don't advocate that position (laughs) You know just to be clear, you know I'm certainly as a lawyer not advocating that But just recognize the power that you have a lot of times people are so embarrassed over the idea that they can't afford or that They had to negotiate or that they have to ask for a payment plan But so many more people are in that position now that I think those that are used to being able to say no honor my contract or i'll sue you are not in that same position anymore so you can go to your landlord and ask for either a rebate on rent or a restructuring and maybe you want to go to your landlord and say let me out of my lease and i'll pay you for a period of time a set amount but after that you're on your own you release me so that I don't have a judgment for non-payment for some period of time that you'll never collect on. <laughs> yeah. And in the meantime, I can go operate my remote office, which gives me the opportunity to save five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 of rent, depending on the size of the firm, because now we've gotten used to working remotely. We're also going to see lawyers that are going to have the opportunity to restructure the way that they compensate people. So, While a lot of people have thought about independent contractor work as freedom from having a traditional nine to five, it gives you flex time. There are governments that look at that as oppressive and saying you're hiring independent contractors, so you you reduce your taxation on payroll taxes and you reduce your benefits. You're not paying health insurance and and things like that for those individuals. But regardless of where you live, if it is still an option for you to have contract attorneys and and contract paralegals instead of full-time staff, that may be a valuable option for you so that you can flex a little bit and decide how much work you want to take, but still be more profitable and be able to scale more of your cases into more profit for yourself.
0: Okay. Awesome. And those are, again, you're just really hitting us with the, <laughs> the super actionable tip, Allison. So thank you so much for that. So, and just kind of, you know, for the benefit of people that haven't been in practice for a super long time, I mean, we probably have to go back to 2008 for the last, I guess, kind of comparable situation to what we're on right now. But, Do you have any sort of parting advice for people on how to kind of adapt to this new recession type climate as opposed to some people who might have been in practice only for the last five or six years and things have been going well?
1: So, you know, for newer people, I think you also have a great opportunity because you have not yet acclimated yourself to a higher standard of living that you are now going to have taken away from you and that might sound a little draconian you might say well i'm not happy to be only earning thirty thousand dollars a year that's not a good thing because i wanted to be earning a lot more but the reality is you have less to take away as opposed to people who have to first psychologically adjust to having a lesser income and then secondarily fiscally adjust meaning reduce their expenses restructure their payment plans alter the way that they're used to eating out driving a certain car going on certain vacations you don't have those problem, so you have a benefit there. The other thing that you have as a younger attorney is that you have the ability to be nimble in the law, which means the legal profession is full of a very conservative ideology. We base our decisions on stare decisis. (laughs) Whatever was done before is where we start for the future. You don't have that burden, or uh, I should say that acclamation, because where you are, there really was no before. Right, so you're kind of, there was no there there. So you're kind of creating it as you go. And what you can do now when you're communicating to potential new clients is talk about the fact that you have fewer clients to serve. And a lot of people that are more experienced are going to have a higher load of clients at a lower price point, which means they're gonna be financially stressed and they're going to be overextended for their case volume. So you having a lighter load can charge less because you have lower expenses, but you also can, you know, argue to people or demonstrate to people you have more time to give them so you can charge them less, but also still give them a higher quality.
0: Yeah, so it's almost leveled the playing field in a lot of ways for those folks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, just to be fair, there is also a flip side to that. (laughs) Because one of the things that I see a lot is lawyers who are very experienced who have a good reputation starting to see more people getting into legal marketing and as a result less experience less talent less capability less knowledge is getting more clients and more revenue because they're marketing well with someone like you so if on the flip side you are the experienced lawyer and you're thinking oh my god i'm gonna have all of these expenses now how am i going to carry them you are going to have an adjustment to make but when you go to the marketplace you can say to the marketplace look John Doe down the road has been practicing four or five years. However, I have been doing this for 20 or 30 years. And because I am at the tail end of my career, I have taken care of my major expenses. My student loans are paid off. My kids are in college. You know, I don't have the pressure to charge you for the sake of making a lot of money, This is what I do for a living and it takes me a lot less time to do it now because I am not five years out or three years out or two years out. I know this like the back of my hand so you can get more experience at a reasonable price point or what the person perceives as a reasonable price point and that person feels like wow I'm going to get so much more bang for my buck over here previously I could only afford the less experienced attorney now. I've got the more experienced attorney for the less experienced attorney's rate. So the arguments are available on both sides, but it really is a matter of positioning, you know, what you say. And I, I don't recommend that lawyers talk a lot about money in their marketing. I think it really should weight the sales conversation, but you certainly can have a very persuasive conversation now around the economy, because a lot of people are thinking about their economic circumstances a lot more.
0: Right. So it's almost as if, you know, there's really no wrong answer. I mean, the right creativity should be able to play to your strengths and that's ultimately what the positioning kind of is about. All right. So, I mean, this has been uh, a lot of uh, really, really awesome, actionable stuff, Allison. So for people who are listening to this and, and, you know, might need some help with this, what's the best way to get in touch?
1: Okay. So, you know, as I said before, law firm mentor is a business coaching service for solo and small law firm attorneys. And we know that right now, solo and small law firm attorneys are hit really hard. A lot of us, don't have but so much liquidity, a lot of us are at the point where we're going to lose a lot more than we're going to have in the short term. And so I have recently created, just for this community, a variation of a program that I taught quite some time ago called More Money, More Free Time. And it basically is about marketing, sales, people, and systems. Those are the four areas. We get more money through marketing and sales. We get more free time through people and systems. But we've also added in there information about facilities, in other words, how to be nimble, and we talk a lot about remote work and that. And also communications, how to keep the glue of your cases moving forward. But all of this is now going to be tailored to what's going on in the present economy. And we're doing a webinar all about this on April 13th, Monday, April 13th, uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if by the time this airs, your audience has already missed that, we will provide a replay Uh, and it's going to talk a lot about the program that we have coming up that's only going to be two hundred and forty seven dollars per month that gives you the course as well as access to our membership site where you're going to have active coaches available to you to answer your questions and give you question and answer sessions about the content as we go through so you can find us at lawfirmmentor.net that program is going to be advertised there and you can also join our free facebook group the law firm mentor movement if those of you that are on Facebook, you can just type in the search, Law Firm Mentor Movement, in the search bar, you'll find us there, and you can always reach out to me directly at 908-810-1083.
0: Okay, that is a very bold with the phone number in, <laughs> but if I mean, it's a, yeah, this is the Law Firm Growth Podcast, so I'm, I'm hoping this doesn't have going too far to the wrong hands, but Yeah, I mean, anyone who's been listening to this, and certainly while I've been listening to this, there's a lot of layers to depth to the stuff that Allison talks about. And if you didn't pick that up, I'd I'd, I'd super encourage checking out more of her stuff. And um, yeah, once again, thank you so much for, for sharing all these great tips. You know, people obviously need it right now. Super appreciate having you on, Allison.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. This was great. I love talking about this stuff, and I love helping solo and small law firm attorneys because, frankly, I'm one of them. (laughs)
0: All right. Awesome. So, um, all right. Thanks again, Allison. And uh, that'll be it for this week. And we'll see you guys all on another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.